Okay. Father, thank you for today. Happy Father's Day to the ultimate death. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I thank you for your words. And Holy Spirit, you you asked me to speak this morning, so you just do it, and uh, I'm just here. So I thank you for who you are. Thank you, Father, for a day to honor you and the representation of you in all of us. In your precious name. All right. So, God put on my heart a few things that uh, I just wanted to share related to today, Dad Day, Father's Day, whatever you say, Pop, whatever you, you call your dad. So, I have brought up in the last, in the last probably week or so, a couple times, just either when I've been praying on the prayer call or here or with my kids, that when I see the rioting and the reactions in the streets and the, the cries for justice and racism and please solve these problems and all of this, what the Father has put on my heart just incredibly strong is that I see those people in the streets with signs. Yes, they're not visible to our natural eye. But signs that say, tell me who I am. I have value. I know I do. Tell me what it is. Teach me. Guide me. Let me know that there's a purpose for my life. And all of those reactions are from years and years and years of not having any of that in their life that they know of. Right? And another thing that I know you guys are probably sick and tired of hearing me say but I hope you still, every time, I hope you understand when I say it. We, you, not just we, you carry the solution to that problem that you're watching on TV. You carry the solution for the political unrest. You carry the solution for international anything that's going on. You do. Not we as a group. Yes, it applies to us as a group as well. But you carry that solution every single day. So when you see that happening on TV... Go, oh my goodness, if they just knew what I knew for them. Not just what you know, but for them. And so I've said many times, I believe that what we're seeing is a result of decades and decades of fatherlessness. And when I say that, some of you who have not had a dad in your life say, okay, I can relate to that. Some of you who've had a father that hasn't represented the father and has treated you poorly or harshly or abusively, You say, okay, that means something different to me, but I can understand that. What I want you to know this morning is that when I say that fatherlessness is a problem, it's because some of us have fathers that don't represent the father. So that fatherlessness, whether you have a dad or you've had a dad or not in your life, he wants to be that father to you at every minute of your life. And it hit me this morning in a, in a really unique way, because I had had that on my heart for a couple weeks now watching the news. But I'm, I was reading a book again that Alexis refers to quite often with me, but it's called Hosting the Presence. And for the first time, for the first time, I noticed that on the cover, I always thought it was hosting his presence, which relates to, okay, let's host his presence. No, 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 no. Hosting the presence. We have the privilege of carrying with us Every single day, the presence 
of a father in a very, very fatherless nation right now. Now, I, I know that that means a lot of things to a lot of people because you're going to relate it with your specific situation. But what I want you to know is that you carry that father figure with you, whether you're a girl or a guy, in any situation that you have. You can bring that presence of the father to every situation, every conversation that you have, because you can host the presence. Now, we talk all the time, Greg and Alexis and Bren speaking this morning in ladies' class, about how to purify your life on a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour basis to ask for complete righteousness, complete purity, so that he can indwell you and that it shows, right? A lot of us carry the Spirit, but at times, certain things jump up and jump out. They go, okay, that didn't represent who I know they carry, right? And that's a constant, constant activity, is to purify your mind, your heart, your body, soul, and your spirit all the time. So that that presence that you carry, that father figure that you carry, can be seen by these people that are livid, they are angry, they are hurting. And it's not always because of what they say. Is there a problem with racism in our nation? There are problems with racism in our nation. Our church has prayed against it. We believe it's been resolved in the courts of heaven. But we're still seeing results of centuries of problems, right, with racism. Are there problems with people that are just filled with hate because of things that have been done wrongly to them in their life? So they want justice. Yes, absolutely. But you carry the presence of the Most High God with you, and you can speak into the lives of those people. So what it is, it's at work. When you're at work or you're working from home, you're interacting with people. You're speaking into their life. You're not standing with a Bible all the time, quoting verses. The presence of the Father is in you, and you are asking him to be a part of every situation in your life. Um, I know that we just had somebody from the church traveling to be with their family and things like that. They prayed before they went on the trip, I want to carry you. I want to present you in everything that I do on this vacation trip, on this trip to see my relatives. That's what I'm talking about. You carry it with you, and the Lord will come out through your presence, through the atmosphere. It's not even spoken word sometimes. It's you walking into the room with the light of Jesus in your life. So, not to drag this out any longer, but he wanted me, I said, Lord, what I just read is too amazing. Do you want me to just summarize it? Do you, what do you want me to do? I took a picture of it with my phone on the paper, on the page, and it was like too small to read. So I'm, I typed it real quick. So I'm just going to read, and I just ask the Lord that he speak through these words to you in, in whatever way he wants to, all right? This is from the book, Hosting the Presence. There is no greater vacuum in the hearts and minds of humankind than understanding God, the Father's nature, especially as it pertains to the goodness of God. Unfortunately, the fear, think about this, unfortunately, the fear of exaggerating his goodness has kept many a heart from the liberty that he purchased on their behalf. Can you imagine? Like, it's impossible to exaggerate his goodness. It's actually impossible. But a fear of that, and maybe being wrong, because something happened that didn't show his goodness from a human perspective, you're afraid of that. Discovering his goodness gives me the grace to serve him with reckless abandon. 
reckless abandon, right? Reckless abandon, usually in most perspectives, is like, oh, let's not do that with reckless abandon, right? Let's drive well, let's act well, let's, you know what I mean? But discovering his goodness, when you really know who he is and how good he is, you can serve him with reckless abandon. It's hard to imagine that anyone would not want to surrender to this God of perfect goodness. Considering that even the church struggles with this picture, it shouldn't surprise us that the unbeliever does. Right? The church struggles with how good he is. The unbeliever will need more than words. This one will have to come with presence. If we can host him and in the process become like him, then perhaps the world will actually experience Romans 2.4. It's my kindness, my goodness that leads you to repentance. Right? Most of the people that are crying out in the streets, they don't think there's any goodness left. So let's just go for what we can go and what we deserve. And let's cordon ourselves off and say, hey, I'm with like-minded people in a couple blocks of a city. No, no. He wants them to know his goodness and it can only come through us. Right? It's not going up to the walls and yelling at them now. This isn't the time. We're building the right, the respect to talking to people's lives on a daily, 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 minute-by-minute basis. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, that we can celebrate a day of how good our dad is. I praise you, God, for who you are. And please, let us see a turnaround. I know you're about to do something big, many things big, that are going to bring people to their knees. But, Father, we're going to be right next to him, kneeling next to him, saying, Hey, let me tell you about my dad. Let me tell you about a love that you've never felt before. And he's been waiting for you. And I know, I know you're surprised. I know you're terrified right now. But let me tell you about a peace that you've never felt before. That is the greatest thing that you'll ever experience in your life. Prepare us, Lord, for that moment. In your name, love you, Lord. Amen. funny um, all morning all last night all morning this morning I'm asking the Lord what do you want this morning what do you want this morning and, and if you can ask Alexis there there comes a time in the week approaching Sunday morning where <laughs> where there's a certain level of human anxiety that begins to creep in, you know, as it approaches time to speak. And, and so, so many times he is just so gracious to me and he'll give it to me that morning or, you know, give it to me in my time with him early or, or sometimes, sometimes the night before, sometimes in my dream, whatever. Um, I had to laugh this morning because he hadn't given me anything. And, and so I spent my time with him a few hours this morning just going through, you know, passages. Cause I'm like, I'm like, well, Lord, you, you just get me excited when I go over the passage you want me to talk about. And I'd read and 
At the very least, he's probably sitting back laughing, thinking, well, I got him to read all that at least. <laughs> you know, because I, I stepped out of that. No, don't know any. Okay, well, then as soon as worship starts, because there are many times that he'll tell me during worship, and, and, and by the way, I am leading up to something here, but uh, he, he has kind of told me, but we'll, we'll, we'll go with it here. Um, and during worship is the same thing, Lord, I'm pressing in, I'm pressing in, talk to me, talk to me, and... And he did finally tell me something. He said, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) He said, I'm not going to tell you until Jeff speaks. And then you'll know. And it it was interesting what the Lord shared with me while Jeff was speaking. And I want to, if I could find it, I want to read something to you. Because it is this idea of Jesus and the Father being one. Of Jesus being in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. Jesus said, I believe it was John chapter 14, if you see me, right, because his disciples were saying, oh, just show us the Father and we'll be happy. Just show us the Father and and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, I, I love his reaction, he said, Seriously, how long have you been with me? Have you not seen the Father? Do you not know me? Do you not know me? If you know me, then you know the Father, for I have shown you everything that the Father has given me. He said, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. And then he goes on, and again, I think it was John chapter 14, to say, This is how you can also be with me and with the Father. It's this intimacy that really doesn't make sense on a human level. It's this understanding of a partnership that is available to us that 99 times out of, no, 999 times out of a thousand We don't get. We don't see. We don't even see it as available to us. And that's what's on his heart this morning. Because intimacy with him means to give up everything of you. Means all control. All control. Where we control our own lives to avoid pain, hurt, to maybe receive something that we think is opposite of pain, is good. We control and manipulate in order to feel a certain way. And God said, there's a hump I need you to get over as my bride, as my readied bride. You need to recognize the fact that I am the one, that the Father is the one who gives that feeling of intimacy. It is Him, when we give up control, we receive... Now, you don't just give up control to give up control. You give up control to Him. It's not just giving up control, but then it's letting Him control. Because I promise you one thing, He's going to do something when you do that. 
He's going to do something that will test it immediately. He's going to do something that won't make sense to you. Is that really the Lord? You know what? He also will confirm. He's not, but he requires faith in doing it. You know, there, there is this dichotomy in faith. We all want faith, and yet so many times when it comes down to the choice of stepping in faith, it's really hard to do. Why? Because it's faith. Because you can't see what you're stepping for or what you're stepping into. That's the whole point of faith, is to step in something not seen but because the Lord told you that it's there, told you to do it. One of the many things he took me through this morning, I I couldn't even begin to remember where it was. I think it was in Matthew. But it was talking about his kingdom. And his kingdom coming now. At the time he's telling his disciples, my kingdom is about to come. My kingdom is about to come. It is that they expected that to be a physical kingdom. But it wasn't. And Jesus knew that it wasn't. Did it make it any less real? No, in fact, it was what we call the real reality. His kingdom is around us now. His kingdom is accessed through the Holy Spirit. Through intimacy with Jesus and with the Father. That's how His kingdom is accessed. And yet, for centuries upon centuries, the bride has ignored it. Has either believed it wasn't even there, not possible to see or be a part of, or didn't want to give up their own control. It all boils down to faith and faith in that intimacy with our relationship with the Father. See, He wants to be seen in us. He and Jesus are the same. They're two people, but they're one. They're together. And He said, that is what I want with you. That's what He wants with you. He wants that intimacy so when people look at you, and this is a very literal thing. This is not a metaphor. When people look at you, he wants them to see his son. And they won't even understand why they see that. Because it doesn't mean we all start looking like 33-year-old Jewish men. It's not about a physicality. It's about his kingdom. It's about the Holy Spirit that exudes through us that power that represents Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he did. Let me see if I can find this. This last week, the court team met, and we were before the Father. I want to read something to you. So many times, whether it, whether it be when we go to the ready room or, or so many times when I am with the Father, just myself, and talking with him, I feel 
such a heaviness of his heart, especially now in the times that we're in now. This, this beginning time of reading of the bride, because right now, and we've said this, we are in a, the bride is in a time of testing. The, what happens when you're being tested? It means you were supposed to have already learned, right? You remember in school where we learn and then you go and you take the test from what you learned. So this is supposed to be where the bride already is. In that intimacy with him, that's what the testing is. The testing is a separation of those who would be intimate with him to those who are not. This is a separation of his children, not the world from those who are saved, but literally a separation of his children. And I don't mean separation like we're not friends anymore on an earthly separation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a separation of usefulness, a separation of authority, a separation of how they will be used. We're before him, and I think I had shared, it might have been on a prayer call, or it might have been last Sunday. <laughs> I have a terrible memory. You'll have to remind me. But I, I, I shared that, that I had been going through silence with the Lord in terms of certain things. He's never silent to me in intimacy. There's never a time that I can not go to him and talk with him about my relationship with him. He's never silent for that. It never has been. What I'm talking about is where I am to step, what I am to do, what I am learning, you know, where he's taking me. There had been a silence in that. And, and even a silence um, with, with the court team going going before the Lord in, in certain ways. And, and, and so I'm, I'm going to pick it up there because I had said to the Lord, you know, what is, it your, what is your wish for tonight? We want your will. And the Father said, I wish to give you confidence in trusting me. I said, hearing your voice does that for me. I know you want me to be confident whether I hear you or not. The father said, yes. I said, that is my resolve. Those were the conversations you and I had earlier this week. I say that for the sake of everyone else. Because I do trust you to tell me, or any of us, if we are off. Is there something that you have been telling me that I have not heard, that I am supposed to act upon? He said, no. I said, so the confidence you are talking about was regarding last Thursday. And that's neither here nor there. The father responded and said, the confidence I speak of is in regarding, it is regarding to what some of you think is silence. What will happen when my son rules in Jerusalem and he sends you to a city to rule? What if he sends you to ten cities? I responded and I said, we will go with his orders. We will go with his heart. Father said, at such a time, 
you would have become one. Just as each of you have access to become one now. Whoever believes in my son has seen me and knows me. And I am in him. Do you have the faith to believe that? I said, yes, I do believe that. I love your son. I cannot wait to be with him, even though I am with him now. And the father said, yes. I'll just stop it there. This idea of being one with Jesus, one with the father, is critical to moving forward. It is a critical aspect of a ready bride. Because if we are his representation here on earth, then it is our responsibility to be one with him so we represent him properly. I can't say enough how important this is. I can't say enough how important it is for you to step in the faith of that before you see. Because the opportunity, as, it's, as it is right now, will not be before you when there is no faith. Does that make sense? When it does not require faith, it will not have the same responsibility, it will not have the same impact as if it requires faith. Because faith moves mountains. Faith allows him to work through us in ways we could never work ourselves. And it is for this purpose he put us behind enemy lines. Did you know that? Did you know that you are effectively at war behind enemy lines? What does that look like? That's not a great place to be. Right? It's, it's an effective place to be. But it can be a difficult place to be. Have you guys seen all these, you know, so many movies, military movies about where teams go behind enemy lines? Right? Uh, I just saw one. What was that called? Um, last, not last man standing. It was, it was, it was a true story of the guy who was part of a SEAL team. Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor, that's it. Yeah. You know, these are teams that are placed behind enemy lines for a specific purpose. Why do you think the Lord allows relationship with him when we're put on this earth? This earth is behind enemy lines. Now, we can, we can fashion ourselves in a place of safety by ignoring it. You know, we can all get into our nice little groups as churches to where our entire known civilization around us believes the same way we do and we're comfortable with that and, and we are effectively hiding behind enemy lines, but there's no effectiveness there. Right? You were meant to be placed behind enemy lines. 
That's why the relationship with Jesus and with the Father is available to us. Because He needs you to be effective behind enemy lines. And I think, I think if we really all talk about it, we'd understand that. We'd understand that, that God's calling on our lives, God's calling on the bride isn't to go and just really enjoy everything and kind of feel good about everything and, you know, float through life in a beautiful way. You know, if, if you think that, then I really feel sorry for the lessons that are coming toward you in the next few weeks, few months. But being behind enemy lines gives opportunity for the light in us to shine. And that's a tough thing when you think about it. It was a tough thing. You know, Mark Wahlberg was the one who, who played the lone survivor. And, and, I mean, it was tough during the fighting in this movie. I could just imagine the choices being made. The choice of, I can't remember the, the unit leader's name. Start with a G, I think. I can't remember. But, but he literally, to save anybody on his team... He had to climb to a position of vulnerability just to be able to use the satellite phone. Murphy. Yeah, I said, I told you it started with an M. <laughs> so Murphy being the leader of this team, he had to decide in order to get this out because, because the, the, the forces behind them, the, the U.S. forces had no idea they were in trouble. No idea. Communication was already broken. He, he had to choose to climb up to this rock, and there were over a hundred Taliban that were coming down on them. He knew it was a choice of death. But he had to make that choice for the sake of the team. Now, God doesn't put us all in that position. But he puts us in the position of trusting him. That lone survivor, the one played by Mark, he had to do everything he could just to survive. He had to do everything he could to still operate behind enemy lines because he couldn't just close his eyes, blink, and not be there anymore. Guess what? Neither can you. You can hide. You can try and lie to yourself. But guess what? That's not going to stop the enemy. That's not going to fulfill your calling in this wartime to go against the enemy. But we can choose to step in what God has us in because he has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. Right? It's times like these that we have to claim his promises and we have to add faith to those claims. You know, there was a fellow pastor from a very difficult area that we've been emailing back and forth. I won't say his name online because he's, he's, uh, he's probably watching right now. He's not in Nigeria. Somewhere else. He's in India. This pastor has a very difficult situation that he is dealing with. And I'm not talking about just caring for himself. I'm talking about caring for many. 
in an area that comes under very difficult circumstances on a normal level, but especially to Christians. And I'd gone to the Lord, This he and I had been going back and forth, and he had asked me for assistance, and, and I had gone to the Lord about it. You know, Lord, will you allow me to do this? Will you allow me to send him assistance? And, and, and I kept getting in, just in my personal conversations with the Lord, no. And I kept thinking, man, am I just hearing him wrong? <laughs> so when we were before the Lord again, I asked him, what do you want me to do in regards to this? And, and his only answer was, I will not share my glory with anyone. Do you understand? God wants to be the one to help. And it doesn't mean he doesn't use us to help. I praise God. We, we have been raising money for the things that, that we're doing in, in Nigeria, and that's been going really well. And the Lord has directed in that. And, he, and I know even here, he has directed individuals to, to be involved. We have a few individuals in this church that are involved on a monthly basis to, to help, and even specific people there in Nigeria. And that is, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being obedient to God. And in this case, wanting to help God said, no, I want my glory to be shown in him. And I remember when I went back to him, I, I thought, how, how am I even going to tell him this? Because it, it just seems kind of harsh. You know, no, can't help you. God told me I can't. But that's exactly what I said to him. I said, the Lord, I, I just gave him the Lord's words. I said, the Lord will not share his glory with anyone. Certainly not me. And his response was beautiful. His response was about praying for us. His response was a response of faith. Now, I don't know him, but with these emails back and forth and, and what I see on Facebook. But I can tell you that there are people behind enemy lines that their only hope, their only hope is that relationship with the Father. And by the way, that's not just an only hope. That is a hope for conquering I mean, for what's coming, for what we know is coming, the, the readying of the bride, that is an incredible hope for conquering, for authority. God is weeding out his remnant right now. Hang on. Hang on. Press in. Let him build that relationship in you to where you are seen in Jesus. Jesus is seen in you. Jesus is in the Father, therefore you are in the Father. Let that build. When the Lord tells you something, act on it. Don't argue with Him. I mean, if you know it's Him. Act on it. Don't be afraid of it. There are things that aren't going to make sense. We're going to be announcing something on Tuesday night. Something that didn't make sense. 
didn't make sense to this person. But they just were obedient. And it hasn't happened yet, so I can't give you the end of the story. But you're going to be part of that. See, we don't know what's in store. We just know what God tells us. And when he says to step, we know to step. If he doesn't show us what's 20 steps down the lane, it doesn't matter. Because if he's the one guiding our steps there, all we have to hear is that next step. But the only way it will be effective is if we are in the Father and the Father is in us. It goes back to that relationship. And I want to read. Turn to Psalm 23. Everybody knows this psalm. But there is quite a promise in this psalm that I want you to understand. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. By the way, that used to bug me growing up. I don't know about you. What it really is says, I shall not be in want. Okay. It's not like, the Lord's my shepherd and I don't want him. That's kind of what it sounded like to me. You know, I, I, I don't know. So the Lord is my shepherd. Statement, declaration, done. I will not be in want. In other words, I will not be in need of anything that he does not supply. Period. Two declarative statements right there. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now let's think about this a second. First of all, when David was writing this, wasn't at the end of his life, when he could look back and think all those good things God had done in his life and everything else, this was written in a time of turmoil. What he's saying is, I operate behind the lines of the enemy. And yet, God makes me lie down in green pastures. I don't know about you, but if you go and you kind of relax in a green pasture, you, you must be feeling pretty comfortable with the area, right? You must be feeling pretty confident that something's not going to get you or hurt you if you're behind enemy lines. See, this is an extraordinary statement. And we need to get this because we're going to find ourselves in situations where this is so necessary for our faith. Coming very soon. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for what? His name's sake. What does that mean? He leads me in righteousness so there is nothing that keeps me from that intimacy with Him. He doesn't just lead me in a path of ten things to do and don't do in my life. So that way I can call myself a Christian, I can call myself a good person, and can move on with that category of my life fulfilled. It's not what he says. Because it says for his sake. His sake. 
Not for my sake. He leads me in righteousness for His sake. So His name can be multiplied on the earth through me. Through you. He moves you through these paths for His name's sake. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So he's, he's recognizing, even though I walk through places where I am vulnerable. Where in a moment, somebody can do something against me. I will fear no evil. I'll fear nothing of the enemy. Because he says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. By the way, the rod is an example of ruling. Do you know Jesus will rule with a rod of iron when he comes and rules from his seat in Jerusalem? That rod is a representation of authority. That staff is a representation of action. Remember what's in David's mind here, in David's mind. This idea of a staff. Think about it. Moses' staff. Why did God have Moses even have a staff? What's the point? Because he was old? Maybe. Maybe he needed it to walk. If that was the case, why did he have him throw it down and it become a snake? And then pick it up again. No, it's because it was a rod of action. It was a rod that represented authority that would be placed into action. When the Red Sea parted, what happened? Moses raised his staff. It wasn't his authority that was doing it. It was God's authority that was placed on him. He said here, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Means your authority and the action of your authority, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So much here. <laughs> you know what that means? See, in Jewish banquets, it was all about the invitation. It was all about, and you see that in different uh, different things that, that are said in the Gospels. When there is a dinner, you're invited to a dinner. You're a dinner guest. Okay, what he's literally saying here is in the very grips of hell, the Lord prepares this banquet table for me and invites me. I get to come. Guess what? My enemies don't get to. I can enjoy, I can have this sense of relationship with him and be with him without hindrance from the enemy. Why? Because the enemy's not invited. He's not allowed to be there. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, this reminds me of my favorite verse in the Bible, my life verse since I was a little kid. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, when I first started loving this verse, I didn't even really understand what it meant. You know, just, I guess David was at church all the time. It's not what it means. All the days of his life, he had opportunity to be with the Lord, to have intimacy with the Lord. He was never lonely because of that. Do you find yourselves lonely? You don't have to be. The more we understand how real and how tangible relationship with the Lord is, the more we understand that we're never alone. He said, all the days of my life, to behold you, to behold your beauty, to inquire, to talk to you. How, how many of you would give up everything if Jesus was sitting right here in the physical? He was sitting right here and you could have one hour of his time. Just you and him. Put a chair right here. Nobody else in the room. Just you and him. What would you give for that? I'd give everything. And yet, that's exactly what we can have. All the time. Every day of our life. When you build relationship with the Lord, relationship is about communication. He speaks to you. You speak back to Him. This is a process that is learned. It is not something that is just thrust upon you because you have achieved something. No, it comes through seeking. It comes because He said, Knock and I'll open. Right? He said, seek me, you'll find me. He didn't say, seek me, and boom, everything's there for you. No, seek, continual, seek, go after, continual, 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 every day, all the time. And when you're not hearing from him, don't assume something's wrong. This was such an important lesson for me. Don't assume something's wrong. Assume that he's trying to teach you to hear something new that you can't hear yet. Or perhaps can't see yet. I've come to a point in my relationship with him where, where I have learned to trust him to tell me if something's wrong. Just like David would cry out, show me anything that's in the way of my relationship with you. That is the cry of my heart every day. 
everything, anything that would come in the way, show me, reveal it, I'll get rid of it. Because I don't want it. My desire is just to be with you. So in that being established, know that if there is something wrong, he will show you. His silence is not because of anger. It's not because of frustration. In fact, his silence is probably more from excitement. Okay, they're ready to learn. Okay, they're trusting me. Now that isn't to say that if you do not, if you have sin in your life, and well, he just doesn't talk to me. Well, you know what? You can look at the sin first and make sure things are out of the way. Because it's a little hard to talk through a wall. It really is. When we allow walls to be built up in our relationship with the Lord, he's not going to knock them down. He will through our asking forgiveness. Then he'll knock them down. But that's why you make sure there are no walls. That's why you make sure, especially known sin, doesn't always apply to unknown sin, things that we don't know about. You know, and I, I always ask forgiveness for that. I ask forgiveness for things that are in my dreams. Especially when Satan gets in there and I know it's from him. And this past week was really cool because for the first time in my life, in my dream, I actually asked forgiveness for it. That was really cool. That's never happened before. But see, known sin is when you know there's sin and you still do it. That is no different than you saying, pass the concrete, because I need to add this other block to my wall. It's no different. That's what known sin does. So God gives us this beautiful covering, knowing that we're placed behind enemy lines. He says, I'm offering you this relationship. I'm offering you this intimacy. Not just because I need you to know what I need you to do and say, but because I need you to know that you're going to lay down in green pastures. Even though everybody might be wanting to try and kill you. You might be in the very midst of a battle, but hey, guess what? You're going to lie down in green pastures. You can trust me. Alex, come on up. Psalm 23, it's so rich and filled with so many different things. Um, It's interesting, the Lord was just showing me the first phrase about not being in want. And the sad thing about the bride today is that we know that we're not in want when we have Jesus, but we live like we're in want. And This morning, Bryn spoke to the women in the ladies' class, and it was so good because one of the powerful pieces of her testimony is um, 
sharing the journey of, of the process of surrender that is a perpetual need in our lives. Repentance and surrender. It is a constant, it is really a key to wielding the authority and the power that we have in Christ. And when I think about um, Hebrews 11.6, which is a familiar verse that we know, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Because he that cometh to God must believe that he is. I have that word circled. You have to believe that he is. He is God. He is everything to us. And that understanding that he encompasses everything that we need is a place of surrender. It is a place of surrender. When Jeff spoke earlier, he mentioned the what's going on in all of the uh, protests all over the world. They showed, you know, thousands and thousands in Scotland and Europe and all over the place. And you do see a void of understanding who people are and and the absence of their identity. There, it's, a, it's a rampant walking around in want and and a desire to want to be fulfilled and yet going about it the wrong way. And as believers, we can't carry the presence unless we understand this idea of total surrender. If you are walking around, and, and, and whether you would be physically joining a, a particular protest or not, if you have the mindset of a... Um, I, I lack in some way, and my desire is to, to get mine. You know, there's a difference in some of these fundamental paradigms that God's challenging. He's, he's making it really clear. It's one thing to stand up for justice and to speak truth to an unjust situation. It's a very different thing to stand for what I believe I'm owed there's a big difference in that philosophy, and we have to be really careful, even as we engage in conversations or on Facebook, that we're speaking truth. It should always be who we are in Christ that flows out of our mouths, of our writings, of our words, and understanding that we believe that God is, and that he is then the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Understanding that God is everything that I need and whatever I've been through, whatever I'm about to go through. Um, one of the ladies shared this morning that she knows suffering is coming her way. We know that the bride itself is going to be dealing with persecution and suffering. Will we be, will we even internally be, um, in a, an offended place of the lack of fairness? Or will we be just declaring the truth of God? Because there are injustices, horrible injustices. But when you're coming from a place of knowing that God is, that surrendered place, and I encourage you to read First Peter 4, um, when it, he says that you know the end of the world is coming, the end of the days, end of the age is, is upon us. And we need to have love for one another. But we don't want to be suffering not for God's sake. See, when, when we are persecuted for believing, for doing what's right, that is 
is to the glory of the Father, and that is to accounted to us for righteousness. But to suffer for doing wrong is only more against us. And I just, I just think that unless we embody in our mindsets, in our conversations, that we really have the faith to believe that we're not in want, that we really believe that God is, he just is, he is everything we need. He is our source. He will not share our glory. He will supply everything that we need. He is there. He is with us, no matter who hurts us, no matter who is about to hurt us, no matter what we go through. We don't have to live in this this wanted place of, I went through this, so you owe me. Did that, does that declare that God was not there? That statement, that fundamental paradigm says God was not with me. God isn't because of that. And that's what the, the believers, that's what the church and his people need to embody, is that we walk in a place of, uh, I read a, 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 another excerpt from Corrie Ten Boom in her life, and what she went through, and, and really, humanly speaking, it was a fluke when she got delivered from prison. I mean, she, it was just days before every woman her age was killed, and she was delivered. Now, her sister, who had the just banner faith in her life, Bessie, she actually did die in the, in the camps. But Corrie Ten Boom, of course, she was in, part of the Holocaust and in a, in a concentration camp, if you don't recognize and know that name. But when she was delivered and then the Lord used her to speak, and, and of course her, her sister's faith just was such an encouragement and really drew her to the Lord in, in things we cannot imagine, unimaginable suffering. And Betsy's every day, she, she knew that God is, and he was with her every moment. But that, that's not about awareness. You can be aware and be aware and be aware and have the biggest chip on your shoulder. It's about surrender. It's about God. You are and I'm not. Except what you say I am through you. It is surrender. That is that is the place that will speak to us. And and the the pivotal moment of of releasing all that she had had to release during her torment and and the just the tribulation of the time in the in the camps. She later went on to better times and was a speaker and, and God gave her so many opportunities to share her testimony until one service. When a gentleman came in, an older gentleman, walked into the service and he didn't recognize her individually, but he had heard her testimony and what she shared of what she went through. He walked forward and suddenly she recognized him as one of the soldiers that during the roll call, when the women would have to be completely naked, and stand there in their shame and the brutal things that they endured. He was one of those soldiers. And he's walking toward her and he introduced himself as one of these soldiers and said that he gave his life to Christ. And he said, I've asked for forgiveness for all the terrible things that I've done. And he put his hand out and he said, but will you forgive me? And she said that what was probably only seconds but seemed like an eternity. She thought, this is the moment. Is God a place where there is no want? Or do I need something from this man to somehow make me feel like I'm whole? Do I need reparations? Do I need 
something from some human that is more than what God can give me and has always given me through every moment of my life. And she put her hand out and she forgave him. And every time I hear that story, I'm just, I'm like, wow, you know, we get bent out of shape about things far less and walk around with a fence over the most insignificant, shallow things. And God in his mercy and grace is just saying, listen, you need to believe that I am. I am the great I am. Will you surrender to that? Because you've got nothing to wield. You've got nothing to show the Lord, show the world until you surrender to me and my ways. Because see, the way up in the kingdom is to go low, is to bow down. That's the key. And so I just want to encourage you that at the, at the root of everything, uh, as we, another beautiful psalm that we hear from David is after he sinned and Prophet Nathan had to come and confront him over his sin with Bathsheba. There's a beautiful psalm. I think it's Psalm 51, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And he says, a broken and a contrite heart wilt thou receive. It's in brokenness. It's in surrender that we live with no want. And that's very counterculture right now. Very, very counterculture. But that's why, as Jeff spoke earlier, that's why we're going to be walking as the light in the darkness. Because they're never going to get anything they want. Whatever, whatever people are fighting for on the streets of this globe, they will never get what they want from another human being within this realm. They won't. Their only answer is Almighty God. He is, and he will reward those who diligently seek him. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this wonderful word. We thank you, God, for that you just are. You are God. God, just to spend time on that, that realization, that, that the awareness of that truth, that fact. God, the more I think of that, that alone just makes me tremble to my knees. That you are God. And then to think that you love me, you love me, and that you are my father through the gift of salvation through Jesus and the washing me clean through the blood is so amazing. That is how we get to walk in no want. How precious. And we don't just get to be around green pastures or stand in green pastures, but As Greg shared with us, we get to lie down and relax in green pastures around us, even in the midst of our enemies. God, we just love you. You are so good. And there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of concerns, a lot of injustice, a lot of evil raging. People are being hurt and their human realm bodies and circumstances are being harmed, God. But you are still God. And because of that and your love over us, your banner over us is love. We are not in want. God, I pray for a greater measure of faith to not just intellectually accept that, but to live it, to breathe it, to be it to this lost world. God, you you deserve in worship Every bit of our lives laid down. That is what you deserve. That is the glory and the honor that you deserve. And I praise you and I thank you, God.
for all that you've done and all that you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.